Hey guys, it's Josh and welcome back to the Not So Bad Bachelor Pad. Joining me today is Heidi Savelle, not to be confused with Corella because she's a lot kinder <laughs> and has better fashion sense. Heidi, can you just tell the audience just a little bit about you, what you do, where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Heidi Savelle, like you said, um, not Cruella, though I kind of love her fashion sense, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't want to skin puppies. I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not into that. But like, you know, I like the kind of like dominatrix kind of vibe she has going on. Listen, live life boldly. I'm on board with that, but I agree with the whole puppy thing. Yeah, I, I draw the line there as a vegetarian. I, I can't get behind that. I am in Portland, Oregon, and I'm a therapist and a polyamory relationship coach. And I've been doing the therapy thing for, oh my gosh, I think 13 or 14 years now. And I've been working with polyamorous folks for about a decade. Wow. Okay. Hey, you can't see her, guys. Well, I mean, I guess if you saw like the show note card, you did see her. But she doesn't look like she's been doing the therapy thing for a decade and a half. She looks way, way too young for that. Oh, you're just flattering me. I am... I appreciate it. You, I think it's because you can't see all the grays through the screen. It's probably that. Listen, it's a style choice. Once again, we talked about Corella, right? That's what I thought. We did. Yeah. We did. And no, uh, my doctor says that I can't have a lot of butter, so I'm not trying to butter you up. I promise. <laughs> Today, guys, we have a great episode for you. I can feel it in my bones. I brought Heidi on because I think that there is a topic that needs a lot more spotlight, and we're going to potentially debunk a couple myths or uh, negative thoughts people have uh, about polyamory, or some people like to call it ethical non-monogamy. There are a lot of, there are lots and lots of different names for it, but I think this is a discussion that needs to be had right now, um, simply because why not? Uh, love is love and it should not be contained. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love that you love it. Um, <laughs> the first question I have for you is the same question everybody uh, we ask everybody else. Heidi, are you in a relationship right now? Yes. You know, I love the way you asked that question because um, I, so what I like to say is that I am partnered. I don't, I like to mm. use the word partnered rather than in a relationship. And part of this is because I'm a bit of a word nerd and a language nerd, but like I'm in lots of relationships, right? And some of them are romantic and some of them aren't, but um, but I am partnered. So I have, I do have like a romantic partner. Listen, look at you. You set this, this little linguist up for a trap. Words have meaning, you know, uh, and you're right. Uh, we are always in a series of relationships like we talked about the other week I, and, and typically i do say partnered in my actual day-to-day -day life so i'm a little mad at myself that um i didn't use it here and listen in this instant um, no it's it's i think it's such a good discussion point too because the other word that i like to kind of challenge is the word single because like so i use unpartnered instead of single because i think single like doesn't convey necessarily a person's reality. Cause like, yeah, someone may be single, but they may live with a bunch of their friends or live with like some really close family members or have a really rich community. And so like, are they really single? I don't know. I mean, they've got so many connections, but they might be unpartnered and that they don't have a romantic partner. 
it's funny when you said that a song popped into my head and i was like you know what that just made it seem all the worse um i haven't i don't even know the name of the song but it's the one that goes like one is the loneliest number that there you know and i was like wow being single just seemed a lot sadder even though that's kind of not what you said but you're right unpartnered i do like that a little bit better it's not as um depressing uh, yeah. yeah, I like to use the word, yeah, unpartnered, because I just think it gets more specific and descriptive, too, because, like, people can be unpartnered and still have a lot of rich lives and may not necessarily feel, like, single and have yeah. all these relationships and a really rich life. And the other piece, too, is, like, thinking about um, the word, like, single parent. Even that, I like to say solo parenting versus single parenting. Mm-hmm. for for similar reasons like I think that I don't know I just I like to move away from that word single because I I just think it um it's it doesn't really get down to what we're truly talking about sometimes I feel like it just depends on the picture that we're trying to paint mm, because yeah. normal like normally when you hear like single parent you respect that parent so much more because like like I was just saying like single now feels like really lonely and like depressing. So I was like, wow, you did this whole parenting thing on your own. So like, that's really impressive. However, if you're like, I'm just an solo parent, you know, that like, I don't know. It just has a different connotation to it. Well, so for me too, though, like someone could be partnered and still single parenting. Ooh, can you say you that know, again? Like, I like that. Yeah, someone could be partnered and still single parenting or solo parenting and and so like for example I have a really good friend who um is a little older already raised her own kids and her girlfriend has young kids and she doesn't she isn't part of the parenting journey with her so like they spend every other week together when her girlfriend is on has custody of her kids they don't see each other and then they see each other in the weeks not so like that person is solo parenting but she's not single she's you know she's got a girlfriend that she's had for several years and it's funny that you bring that up like i mean i guess it's not funny like it's it's what we're here to talk about but i mean i was getting warmed up and you hopped right into it um that was a question that i was going to bring up later is i can only imagine that even in heteronormative relationships people date or any type of relationship like people date single parents or unpartnered parents all the time but that structure sometimes looks different when they get start dating or then get married. And then you have like a new unit come in as a step parent mm-hmm. and how that like affects the dynamics of multiple relationships. The one you have with your partner and the one that you're now introducing to the child I thought about like, well, in situations like this, do people sometimes take the hands off approach? Like you said, like, I guess the week that they have the partner has their kid you don't see each other. I don't know if you can speak more onto that. I mean, is that working for them? Does that work? Yeah. I mean, I think it works really well for them. I think that um, the partner with the kids doesn't, you know, the, the kids have another parent. And so she co-parents with their other parent. And so doesn't, doesn't want or need another co-parent, you know, like has, has that going on and then, you know, has her own thing with, with her partner. And so for them, it really works. But I mean, you know, 
I, I'm all about the non-traditional relationships and like disrupting some of the norms Mm -hmm. and looking at, I mean, that's the thing I love so much about polyamory is that it's all about really looking at like, what is expected of us and what pieces of that work and what pieces might not work for each individual. And so being able to say, you know, I like those pieces, but these other pieces, eh, I'm just going to throw them out the window. They don't work for me. And having permission to have that be okay. You know, my brain's going a million miles per second. I didn't, I didn't plan on this happening today. Um, so we're going to have side conversations. I'm sorry. It just hit me. A lot of people who live in this heteronormative, just one person, one per one, one per one ratio. I don't think they realize that, like, I guess they're technically in multiple relationships with multiple people already in the sense of like we're talking about at least in the step parent boundary is like the word co-parent means co is like two like together however when you are a co-parent and then you have a partner who's actively also involved it's not really co anymore it's like quad parenting yeah wow you, you know that was i don't know that was just a revelation for me so sorry, I needed totally. a minute. No, I, I love the way that yeah. like it's, you know, when we start to really think about what are relationships and break down some of the assumptions, there's all these different ways that, yeah, we start to re-examine things. It's 3 p.m. where I'm at right now, guys, but my eyes are just being opened for the first time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got really far ahead. Just for the audience who isn't too familiar, I'm going to back it up and ask you uh, a question and then we can kind of skip back to where we are. Um, Because a lot of people really don't understand the word polyamory. So to you, in your own words, if you, uh, as you describe it, what is polyamory or ethical non-monogamy or however you phrase it? Yeah, yeah. It's such a good question. So polyamory is the philosophy and or practice of having multiple romantic relationships at once simultaneously and and this is the really important piece with everyone's consent and knowledge Mm. we love consent and we love being informed so we're on board with that already yes so what ethical um ethical non-monogamy is a little bit different insofar as ethical non-monogamy is more of an umbrella term that um, encompasses any form of non-monogamy that involves consent. So that could be something like um, swinging, which is when people, mostly couples, will have sex with other people outside of the relationship, but they usually do it together. And it's more of a form of like socializing and recreation and not about like generally not about like romance and love it's really more focused on like that sexual exploration and then there's all different flavors of open relationship um that people might have that would fall under ethical non-monogamy but wouldn't necessarily be considered polyamory so like some people have what do they call it i think they call it like the zip code rule or something so it's like look when you travel you do you you know, like within the agreements of like sexual health and safety. Yeah. But when you're, when we're in the same zip code, we don't, we're only with each other. And that's a form of ethical non-monogamy potentially, depending on how it's carried out. It hopefully is being ethical, but that's not polyamory. So the thing that distinguishes polyamory from other forms of ethical non-monogamy is that polyamory is really about the, um, the romantic and love 
piece being involved in those multiple relationships. And that's the reason I really asked the question is, um, I'm glad that you backed it out and kind of explained the umbrella of um, the non the ethical non-monogamy. And you gave the differences between um, its little subsets, such as polyamory, swinging. Um, so people really get an idea that a, it is consensual, and B, there is still a component of intimacy and romance involved into yes. it. Um, I feel like a lot of times, or for people who aren't familiar in this space or haven't um, had a lot of contact with it, they they generalize it to, they relate equate it to being open. They hear open relationships a lot. And they just think of it as, open, promiscuous, non-attachments. Totally. Which, in my experiences, I haven't had many, but I've had a couple. That's generally not the case. Um, yeah, I think that's such a huge misunderstanding um, in with polyamory is that it's like, oh, yeah, you're just casual all the time. You just, like, want to have a bunch of casual sex. And, like, some people who are polyamorous like to have casual sex just like some people who identify as monogamous like to have casual sex. Right. But, but, you know, often people who are polyamorous are actually interested in the relationship piece, even more, I would say, than the sex piece. It's about like those intimate romantic relationships and getting to have, you know, multiple of those at the same time. I could not agree more. Um, sometimes in, in my opinion, I feel like the people I know who practice polyamory um, sometimes have better or actually more genuine relationships mm -hmm. um, because they really take the time to think about their partners and they just do a better job in most cases of communicating and setting boundaries. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think to do polyamory right you have to do a really, a real deep dive into um, communication, into boundaries, into consent, and to just being really intentional. Like, what do we want this relationship to be? We're letting go of the blueprint, right? The blueprint saying, well, you meet one person, you have sex, you fall in love, you move in together, you get married, da 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 da. It's called in. Uh, in polyamory, we call that the relationship escalator. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that people will ride that relationship escalator. But in polyamory, we kind of disrupt that relationship escalator and say, you might, you might ride that relationship escalator with someone, but you might also have all these other relationships where you're not going to ride that escalator. You're probably not going to move in with that person. You're, you might not have kids with that person. You might already be married. And so it's not someone you're going to marry. So really looking at what does it mean for us to have a serious committed relationship and what are the things that we're going to do to make that real for us. And that was again, those are those little, they may seem little, but those thoughts and conversations really help to, to um, set expectations for how we, how we live our day to days. I know so often we hear, uh, at least with single people now, is like the talking stage. Uh, everybody wants to know, like, 
can we define the relationship? I think if you look at these polyamorous couples, that they do a really, like like you were just saying, they do a really great job at said thing, defining the relationship um, and really thinking about um, what they want and how not to abuse or waste the other person's time. Yeah, totally. Um, so are you, like, if you don't mind me asking, you yourself, are you uh, polyamorous or uh, are you on the monogamous side? I'm polyamorous. Okay. Yeah. So I, I started my polyamory journey about, gosh, almost a decade ago now. Yeah. And so, and, you know, I, I came into it in an interesting way. I was married mm-hmm. um, and my, my husband and I decided to um, open our relationship and we, you know, we read a bunch of books on open relationships. We went to some like support groups and educational classes and things like that. And we decided to really take the polyamory route. And yeah, I mean, this doesn't happen to everyone. And I caution to share my story because I feel like everyone's going to overgeneralize and be like, oh my God, that's going to happen to me. Right. But for me, what, what happened was through that journey, I realized that the person I was married to was not actually a good fit for me. And so I ended up leaving the marriage, but I kept the relationship structure. I kept the polyamory. I decided that piece was really a good fit for me, but this particular human who I was with was not, not a good fit for me. Listen, I just want to give you a shout out. First of all, Um, for me, that's the biggest victory that we can have in life is finding out that something didn't work. Yeah. Um, I think everybody deserves a forever partner if they want one, if that's their their goal. But I also don't, I believe that everybody shouldn't stay with a partner just to say they have one. Totally. Um, You know, I was like, you only get one life to my knowledge, so you might as well enjoy it. So why stay in a situation that isn't pleasurable or um, healthy for you? Totally. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I, since we're going down this path, another piece that I really like to highlight to my clients is this idea that like, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it wasn't successful. Correct. You know, we can have relationships that teach us things that help us to grow. We can have genuine real love with a person and at some point decide that that relationship has come to an end, that it no longer makes sense. And that, you know, we decide to go our separate ways. I like to use a nice metaphor with my clients when I explain, when I try to get them to understand that is, you know, when you start out, like we all like vanilla is usually everybody's first flavor of ice cream when they try it. And we love vanilla. It's solid. It's, you know, nothing wrong with it. And it taught us that, Hey, we like something. However, once you get older, you might realize you like sprinkles or like Rocky road or for me, (laughs) cotton candy, you know, my favorite flavor. Um, but that doesn't mean that like vanilla is like a failure of a flavor. No, it just means that you're evolving and you moved on to something that satisfied you more. Yeah, I love that. As a sidebar, do you really like cotton candy ice cream? Um, I don't know if you guys have UDF out there, so you wouldn't understand it. But UDF cotton candy ice cream is next level. It is the pinnacle of flavor and it can be unparalleled to any other flavor. Sorry. 
Okay. I mean, I hear you. I don't have UDF, so mm. I, it may be that I just haven't tried this, but I just I have one more question for okay. you. All right. Is it blue? So it's like cotton candy. It's blue and pink. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. This is my deeply skeptical voice, but but I'm going to hold out until I make it to, is it Chicago? Oh, I wish. Um, no, Ohio. Oh, Ohio. But they're they're oh, all oh, over no. the they're they're in the Midwest and they're on okay. they're in Florida. Okay, I've seen one. All right. Well, yeah. I'm gonna hold out until I get to UDF and then I'm gonna try this and then then at that point I'm gonna feel free to judge and I'm probably gonna give you a call up and be like either hey you were totally right this is awesome or you know we have to respectfully disagree on this one. Um, that's okay. Not everybody has good taste. I I would understand it if you didn't <laughs> understand. No. Uh, <laughs> No, um, but but that also goes to um, kind of what we're talking about right now. Um, I don't. So I, if 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 this is an overreach, just let me know. Are you still in contact uh, with your former uh, spouse? I'm not. not. We did maintain contact yeah. for a few years, and we it wasn't on bad terms. Yeah. But yeah, eventually we just lost Drifted. touch. I get that. Like it should be sometimes, um, but maybe like did the polyamory structure work for him? Like the times, or did you guys not even talk about that? Um, I so when we, I think he was still kind of playing around with it when I was in touch with him. But if I had to guess, I would guess this is just me totally guessing here. But my hunch is he might have probably gone back to monogamy. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is to me it's the best flavor. But however it's not for everybody and the same with the idea of polyamory you know um some people are for whatever their reasons are they're monogamous people um and they like the one-to-one ratio and they like the traditional mold that's been um demonstrated since forever which is okay there's nothing wrong with that however for some of us we needed a little something different Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so true. And I I really like to emphasize that in my work, um, which is that I am never going to claim that monogamy is an invalid choice. I think monogamy is a perfectly legitimate choice and it works for a lot of people. And I, the only issue I take with monogamy is the assumption that it is the only choice. So like, you know, for that everyone has to make that choice. Yeah. For some people, they are monogamous through and through. And like for them, that is their choice. And and I respect that. But people who say monogamy is the only valid choice for everyone, that's what I take issue with. Yeah. Right. And and then similarly, I think um there are some people so there are some people who are like polyamorous through mm-hmm. and through yes. where they're like, this is the only choice for me. This is the one that makes sense. Other people can do them. But for me, I know that this is the only way I can be happy. And then there are people who are ambi-amorous where they could either be in a monogamous relationship or a polyamorous relationship. And they're like, I can be happy in either. And that's also a valid choice. And I think that's where I land um, about 95% of the time is I don't mind being partnered with just one person. Um, However, I also don't mind being with multiple partners. Um, Because the way it was first introduced to me just made the most sense. I was like, we all have friends, but we all have different friend groups. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, you need a different friend group that one set of friends can't, you know, provide. And I was like, that's so true. You know, uh, as a theater kid, it was, it'd be impossible to get my jock friends, you know, to go to see a musical with me. But getting my other theater, like, co-friends, you know, to do that satisfied and fulfilled me you know so it totally that's like the generic version that i that i received so so long ago uh as a yeah i love that i love that and another way that i've heard it stated is like this idea that people are like well how can you possibly really truly love more than one romantic partner yeah and i think the answer i've heard to that that i love is like how can you truly love more than one child if you have how can you share that love if you have more than one kid right or you know if why would you ever need more than one friend isn't one friend enough why exactly. would you want more right but and then, yet that's not something we think twice about and yet when it comes to relationships it's like something we think twice about and yet when it comes to relationships it's like oh well i don't know about that right or then like the defense to that is they're like well you only have one best friend and then that's a whole nother debate. Like, do you only have one best friend? Um, and even so, that evolves over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you're younger, it's always quantity over quality. And then as you get older, it switches to quantity over quality. Um, and you're just like, I think I have three friends right now, you know? But I'm okay with that because I love those fuckers to death. And I'd like do anything for them and vice versa, you know? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And like, you know, there's, yeah, I love what you said about that evolving over time. I think that's really, really true. And what, what we're talking about now, um, it's just really, uh, brings up something else for me that I just love talking about. And this in particular, I think is, could be really relevant to your monogamous audience. So the folks who are listening, who are like, yeah, monogamy is for me. I identify with that through and through. I think there's something really important that um, polyamory can teach monogamous folks about relationships. And I mean, there's a lot of things, but the thing that I think is biggest is um, breaking down and reexamining what, um, what we call toxic monogamy culture. And so before, before people get super mad at me and are like, she can't call monogamy toxic. I am not saying monogamy is toxic, absolutely. But I am saying that there is this um, culture around it, the social norms and expectations around monogamy that get perpetuated in media and romanticized that actually encourage really unhealthy relationship patterns. So I, I, could, I could see that, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. So could you like give us an example or like... Totally. Yeah, so some of the examples um, of toxic monogamy culture or like some of the expectations or beliefs within toxic monogamy culture are things like if you really love someone, then you'll never feel any attraction to anyone else. Or, you know, your partner should fill all your needs. They should be your best friend. They should be your therapist. They should be your co-parent. They should be like all of these, and a real true partner will fill all of those needs. And if they don't, then they're probably not right for you. Also, the idea that um, you should be, that like when you're in a relationship, if it's real love, you should want to spend all your time with that person. I, yeah, okay, so we are on the same page. Um, 
those are such ideas that I think are just bullets. Once again, I, guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a big boy. I've been a foodie. I've been the, the fat boy for a while, and I'm okay with that. So all my metaphors kind of come back to food or, yeah, pretty much food. And it's like there's no one food group that if you eat that will sustain you. Like you need multiple to sustain life. So it's the same facet. Like why would to, – to me, why would you think that one person, even in a non-romantic – capacity could fulfill every need you have um right it's just it's beyond me you know right and then and oh go ahead and then i was like spending time alone is crucial um even if like you are soul soulmates twin flames having time to yourself to just reset or to refuel so that you can keep being your best self to you and your partner like that's a thing. Um, so couples, because there are those couples that just, they never separate. Like you have to do, you always have to have the double invitation on hand. Hey, it's guys night. Do you like want to come over? Like, well, we're busy. And I was like, well, I mean like, well, she's doing this, but like, what are you doing? Like, cause I don't really need her there because it's guys night, you, you know? Right. Well, that's the other piece. It's not just getting time alone, which I agree with you is key, but it's also like, getting time with just your friends, you know, like it's okay to like have friendships that you spend time with where your partner doesn't come. You know, I mean, I think that in so many ways, like the time we spend alone and the time we spend with other people apart from our partners, like can actually help. It supports us in being full humans. And then it also can support the relationship because then we have like things to talk about when we come together and we've had different experiences that we can come share with each other you know i agree i i got into a argument with a person i was seeing a couple months back because i said something and to me it didn't seem like oh I, and i didn't mean it in a rude or offensive way but i just said i don't usually talk to my partner every day in the early stages or 24 seven, simply because when we do get together, I want there to be something new to talk about. Cause if I right. talk to you I all day, it. every day, 24 seven, what could you possibly tell me that I don't already know? Because I'm like, we're like micromanaging each other's day. I know everything. Right. Well, and there's like times where, you know, you want to be like present in other things too. Like, you know, I, I've been in relationships or I've had partners where it's like they want to be texting all day long. And it's like, Hey, like, how would it feel for you when I'm with you and I'm pulling out my phone and texting all the time, it wouldn't feel good. And that's what you're asking me to do when I'm with other people. Right. Like I want to be present when I'm with folks. And that means I can't be on my phone all the time. You know, it's nice to talk to somebody who gets it. Not everybody does. It's like being out in that nice Portland air, you know, taking a big whiff. It's clean. <laughs> Over here in the Midwest, not as clean, but it's still nice. Yeah. Switching back over to polyamory, um, is there anything else that you think that um, people in monogamous relationships could learn? I think one thing that really started that I learned from the first uh, relationship I was in was boundaries and um, expectations. Yeah. I feel like that's hard for a lot of people um, most of the time because they're so used to, like I said, the one-on-one -on -one or 
I like this is the this is the thing that happens that I that I'll never understand. I never understand cheating. Cheating makes no sense to me. If you're interested in something else, walk away if it's not your partner, like not meant to be, or have a conversation. And who knows? Maybe your partner is also interested in the same thing you're interested in, and then you could you could evolve your relationship to maybe becoming polyamorous. Um, but I feel like boundaries have to be super important within that uh, within that type of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, boundaries are huge. Um, I think so the way I define boundaries and I'm not sure if, you know, you define it the same way, but the way I think about boundaries are boundaries are the limits, the ways we set limits and define our needs to other people. And then the steps we will take in order to make sure that those limits and needs are, you know, being met respected and that those needs are met. And so like, that's, that's what a boundary is for me. And I think that that's huge in, you know, especially when you're conducting multiple romantic relationships at the same time and that your behaviors have the chance to like be impacting so many other people at the same time, that it's really important that we set up boundaries around that. I think that, um, what I think you might be talking about right now, correct me if I'm wrong, is what I call agreements, which are different than boundaries. Because boundaries are like saying like, you know, Josh, I um, I don't like being yelled at. That's my limit. So if you start yelling at me, I'm actually going to end this call because that's how I'm going to take care of, take steps to take care of myself because I can't, I can't handle being yelled at. It's not for me. An agreement would be like, Hey, Josh, like, you know, you and I are doing this thing. I, can we come to an agreement that while we're on this call that neither of us are going to yell at each other? Is that something you'd agree to? Do you see the difference there? I I don't know if that's like the best example, but. No, you, you went exactly where I wanted you to go. Yes. I feel like there's a big barrier or lapse in communication sometimes when people are having this conversation. So I'm glad that you stopped and pointed out that boundaries and agreements are different things and that um they you know like I said they operate differently so within your context like an agreement you would have with your partner is something that i feel like sometimes we in the traditional relationships that they don't really think about or get discussed mm-hmm. um and and boundaries as well but mainly like i wanted to touch on agreements so like the what's the main purpose of agreements Yeah, so I think agreements are to make sure that two people are on the same page and to really define like what are what are the areas where we are going to agree to keep, you know, it's I think agreements are around consent in a lot of ways. So let's say that the agreement is, um, hey, you know, if I start if I set up a date with someone else, I'm going to let you know before I go on that date. And that's something, and the other person says, you know what, I'll do the same. So like, we're together, we're both kind of like on Hinge or whatever app we prefer. And like, if if I meet someone on there and I'm like, oh, I think I wanna go on a date with them. I have an agreement with you that I'm gonna tell you, hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm heading out on a date with this person. And that's that's the agreement there that we both say, yes, that's reasonable, I'm willing to do that. The thing about agreements is that they can be renegotiated. They're not like what I like to say is agreements and rules are different. Rules are like 
a dictate that I make about you where it's like, here's the rule, you have to follow it. An agreement is like, you and I come up with this together. We've decided this is something that works for both of us. But let's say one night, like I'm out at a show and I meet up with someone and they're like, hey, do you want to grab a drink after this? And I'm like really vibing with them. And I might be like, oh, I can't because I haven't let my partner know ahead of time. And so I might go to my partner and say, you know, I kind of want to renegotiate that that agreement we have. I'm not sure it's working for me anymore because here's an instance that came up that I felt pretty restricted. And then we'd go and we'd kind of reconfigure it and find out what makes sense for us. And I think that's beautiful in a, in a sense that um, it's a, a, it, it, it involves communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not trying to sneak around. And I feel like rules are so rigid, whereas agreements mm-hmm. are more flexible. And then, like you said, I feel like they're, they're designed to cater to all parties involved not just, yeah. you know, one person being quote unquote leader and just like deciding, hey, here's how it goes, you know? Right, right, exactly. And I think the problem with rules is that they're much more likely to be broken because with an agreement, why would you break an agreement when you can just renegotiate it? Right. When you can come and have an honest conversation where you're like, hey, this isn't working for me. I want to talk about figuring out something different. Whereas with a rule, it's like, there's no renegotiation. It's just like, this is what you can't do. And so, you know, you're, you're much more likely to break that if you feel constricted by it. And there's also no room for recourse, you know? Often when people are like, someone broke a rule, now I have to break up with them, you right. know, or something like that. And it's like, what if you don't want to break up with them? Yes, your trust was betrayed. And yes, there needs to be some repair. But like, maybe you still want to be with them. Exactly. Like, um, rules, like, make me feel like, like, I count, like, rules as strikes when I'm in a uh, monogamous relationship, it's like, like you said, there has to be some type of repercussion. So I was like, so I like assign strikes, like baseball. Um, and when you get three, I was like, well, we got, we have to end things. But in all reality, I was like this, they probably could have been avoided if a, we were, if we had agreements that if this is how we're going to operate, you know, X, Y, and Z, rather than this one scenario has to be the precedent forever and always totally yeah yeah and the thing that i like about agreements too versus rules is because like with the strike example it's like well why is this person continuing to get strikes what's going on here yeah either they're you know just not respecting what you need in which case yeah that's a real problem or there's something about the rule that isn't working and so instead of just counting up strikes what would it be like to say hey Let's look at why this keeps happening. Like, is there a piece of this, what we have in place that isn't working for you? And is there a way we can renegotiate it? And, you know, let's talk about what we're both needing and where our needs aren't maybe aligned and see if we can negotiate and come up with some way that, you know, my need around this can be met without you feeling constricted and without me feeling like I'm getting betrayed every time you do this behavior. And like I said, I... I tell people communication is the first and last step to every healthy relationship. And that's the prime example because as I said earlier, I love when people realize it's time to walk away, but sometimes I feel like people may be too quick to walk away because they don't take the time and or try to figure, figure out what's not working or why mm-hmm. the question why to me is one of my favorite questions. 
because it helps us to understand like the other perspective, which we're not getting. And once we start to understand that, hopefully, if things are genuine, um, you can work past that issue and then you're in a better relationship. And I think, I think that's the goal. I don't know anybody who wants to be in a bad relationship because that's when I start using the T word, you know, that's, that, that's pretty toxic to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think part of it too, and this is true, really true in polyamory, but I think super true in monogamy too, is like being able to have hard conversations or being able to tolerate hearing that there might be something you do that your partner doesn't like. And can you be okay with that? And can you, you know, hear and respect your partner's needs without like taking it on or taking it super personally? I'll give you an example. When I first got together um, with a partner, I grew up in a family where we like rib each other, you know, like it's a sign of affection. We kind of tease each other and that's just like how we show love. And it's like, if I'm like teasing you, you're in the inner circle. I'm showing affection. My partner did not like being made like that to him was like, you are disrespecting me, you're making fun of me, you're like putting me on blast in front of all our friends, not okay. And so, you know, he came to me and said like, hey, I don't like it when you do that, that doesn't feel good to me. And my first instinct was to be like, you're rejecting me, you're rejecting who I am, this is how I show love, like you won't accept me as I am. And I had to like take a beat and be like, you know what, that's okay. Like there are lots of ways I show love and affection. Here's one that like totally doesn't work for my partner. I do not want my partner to feel put on blast. I don't want him to feel like he's being like made fun of by me. That's not my intention. So I can stop doing that. That's okay. But you know, the first response was this like defensiveness of like, no, you're rejecting me. Why won't you just accept me as I am? And I really had to take a beat. And I think that's like such an important skill being able to really like hear and connect and feel empathy and then be like, okay, I can, I can take some feedback. I can do that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, like, it's, relationships are just like work in a sense that there are always times where, like, our performance may not be the best, or, and we receive constructive criticisms. It's not something to be taken personal. We're not trying to attack your character, but going back and saying, like, hey, this wasn't working, or, like, maybe there are better ways to do things. Right, and just because... I'm doing something that I feel like is like super sweet doesn't mean the other person's going to like it. And just because they don't like it doesn't mean they're like rejecting my love. Exactly. Um, So like there's this other really silly example where like um, I have a partner where like when I wake up in the morning, I'm a morning person. I wake up and I'm like, I'm ready to go. And I'll just like want to smother my partner and like, like kiss their face, whisper how much I love them, cuddle them. And I have a partner who was like, I, no, no, like, I want to reach out and hit the snooze button on you. Like, I love it. <laughs> I want it. But like, I want it two hours later. Like, I'm still asleep. Right. Don't do that. And, you know, I could have been, I feel like a younger version of me would have been like, super hurt. Like, oh, you don't want my kisses. You don't want my love. But being able to be like, that right. I get it. Not everyone's into that. Not everyone's a morning person. Like, you know, you want my kisses two hours later. I can, I can be okay with that. And you said that that growth is something that I think is vital in every relationship. Um, 
just because we all have like everybody has like pet peeves so the fact that you can like respect those things monumental no matter what type of relationship you're in yeah um so imagine like you were giving a 101 class right now for polyamory what is one crucial thing that you think that we should kind of know or you would you would um you would start off by telling us so one thing i would want to say is that um jealousy is completely normal that jealousy is okay and that just because you feel jealous doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong and it also more importantly doesn't mean that your partner is doing anything wrong i think this is huge because um often in in monogamy and then this gets carried over into polyamory there's this feeling of like oh i felt jealous that my partner did that so they need to stop doing that so i don't feel jealous anymore and i think in polyamory we reframe it as what do i need in order to not feel jealous because like let's say my partner's like talking to you know went up to get a drink at the bar and is like chatting up some hot person like is that a problem are they is it within our relationship agreements that they're allowed to talk to strangers yes what if those strangers happen to be attractive yeah still still okay what if those strangers happen to be like the gender that my partner is attracted to Mm, yeah that's not there's nothing outside of the agreements there and yet i'm feeling jealous and so the thing that I had to unlearn that I think I, I want to help my clients and other folks unlearn is like, just because you have a feeling of jealousy doesn't mean that anyone's doing anything wrong. Jealousy is just a, an emotion that comes up for us. We all experience it. And sometimes it's about writing it out or getting curious about it instead of being like, somebody's doing something wrong and they need to stop. The two things I love about jealousy or that I say about it is one people don't like to be uncomfortable um so like you were saying when they when you when the when somebody feels jealous they automatically assume that their partner needs to stop an action when the case is like no i have not broken any agreement i've done nothing wrong Mm -hmm. uh but b i was like why isn't that an opportunity like for me jealousy is also like a big point of arousal so like i love when people hit on my partner or somebody Mm. i'm partnered with because a it kind of validates me a little bit like well i I know where they're coming home to and then b sometimes i'm like you seemed a little too happy let me remind you uh you know and then it becomes like a playful like little banter Mm -hmm. um or opportunity for me and my partner to kind of reconnect um yeah and i think there's also something about it for me where it's like oh yeah you think my partner's hot yeah they are hot aren't they yeah yeah Yeah, like i see them out there being all desirable and sexy that's kind of hot right you know like seeing other people vibe with them it's like yeah you see in them what i see in them and that's like yeah they are pretty hot aren't they yeah oh yeah Oh, go ahead. I was like, I'll never forget. I was out and somebody didn't know that me and this person were seeing each other. And like, they were just next to me. Like I saw them giving eyes and like, we were just, they were just chatting and I was like, oh, this person's like so gorgeous, like so confident, just crushing it. And I was like gassing him up. Like, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like just a great, in a total agreement. And then like later on, 
like I see those two talking um, <laughs> and then they, you know, just, just that whole interaction of like, you don't know, but I know. I was like, yes, this is the affirmation that I, I just love getting. And I know when um, they were talking to my partner, I know my partner loved it just as much because um, it feels good to have somebody kind of vibe your energy, you know, um, just to, to like to resonate with you. So I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like when we talk about jealousy, I think you're right that like people don't like being uncomfortable. And so some of it is like tolerating the discomfort and being like, all right, this is what's coming up for me. And then figuring out like, is this something that I need to, you know, is this just a feeling that I need to ride out? Right. Is there something I need to do to take care of myself or Maybe there is a request I want to make of my partner, potentially. But even if there is, can I do that in a non-accusatory way? Yes. Because like you said, um, you don't want your partner to be so defensive when you're having conversation. But that starts with how do you, your approach? How did you approach the situation and the dialogue that you're using to address them? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, there's just this big myth of, like, oh, I couldn't be polyamorous because I get jealous. And I think that the assumption there is that polyamorous people don't get jealous. Right. Which I think is so weird. Like, yeah, we're, we're human. We're not, like, you know, we're just, we're just like you. We experience jealousy just like everyone else. The difference is that, like, you know, jealousy isn't the end of the conversation. Jealousy right. isn't, like oh, I can't tolerate this, so I'm just going to shut it down. Jealousy is like, okay, what's coming up for me? What do I need? How can I take care of myself right now? How can I be curious? And another thing I hear about that is like, I think, oh, polyamorous people do get jealous, but that's why they have so many partners is like they can just drop one and leave or like go on to the next one, um, which is definitely not the case. Um, if you're going to be jealous in one situation, situa instance you're probably going to be jealous in the second one so i mean that wouldn't solve anything so it's really taking the time to like you were saying like why am i jealous mm -hmm. um and yeah. what can I, like what what do i need to learn from this what do i need to work on yeah in this in this situation totally well and the other thing that um i just thought of um which you know you were saying like oh they can like drop a partner and go on to a net the next or something like that is um I think another misunderstanding about polyamory is that like relationships are like um, interchangeable. So I had yes. a, a client once who um, had a, a girlfriend have a really messy breakup with um, her girlfriend and um, she was like at work and she was really struggling to keep it together. And one of her coworkers said like, what are you so upset about? You still have a wife. And it was like, it's so mind blowing to me that they, they were like, as if like just checking the relationship box is enough as if it's almost like reducing a relationship to just like a number instead of being like, no, this relationship was not exchangeable with any other. This right. was like, there were unique feelings and qualities. And like, this was a unique person who I had a relationship with. I mean, God forbid this happened to anyone, but imagine if someone had two children and right. one of them died and someone said, what are you crying about? You still have one child. Like that 
to us seems like, oh my God, who would ever say that, right? Like, right. that would be so insensitive. But it's kind of the same thing when you talk about and treat, you know, romantic relationships as if they're interchangeable. I agree. And it, it, it's, it's shocking and not shocking at the same time to think that we're raised in such a way where we can have these conversations and not blink an eye about, oh my gosh, that was definitely over the line. But then to think that we're raised in such a way where we can have these conversations and not blink an eye about, oh my gosh, that was definitely over the line. But then you add romance to it well, uh, and you're like, well, then it's different. And I was like, is it though? Uh, I was like, I was like, and that's another reason I, I wanted to have this conversation today is to start normalizing these types of conversations to be like, all relationships are important. You know, they all have value. And like you said, they're all unique. Okay. I say this friendship breakups to me are sometimes more painful than romantic breakups. Like why in certain instances are we okay with like breakups and like some were not, you know, like some are justifiable and then some are just like. Well, there there are more there are more fish out there, and I was like, that's never really the case, you know, the answer. Right, right. Well, and I think that gets back to the idea of um, toxic monogamy because in toxic monogamy, we're taught to believe something like, you know, there's only one person out there for you, and so you know, it then becomes dismissive if you break up with someone. It's like, oh, well, don't worry about it. That wasn't your person. Right. And it's like, well, no, I had like a very deep, caring relationship with that person. And like, I'm devastated by it. And I should, you know, I get to have that grief. And I think toxic monogamy also contributes to that thing you were saying about friends, where it's like, why do we believe that relationship breakups are like more devastating somehow, or should be more devastating than friend breakups? And because I think in toxic monogamy, what happens is we're taught that we should elevate romantic relationships above all other relationships. And, and I don't think that that's like realistic or fair or healthy to say like this relationship, I'm going to prioritize over everything else. Like maybe sometimes you do, but sometimes you prioritize other things and, and that should be okay. And not sometimes the most obvious things are also like the most, the most mind blowing. Have you ever had that friend that when they like, they're always, they're super consistent, but however, whenever they get into a relationship, they just, like, disappear. Yes. And then they reappear at the conclusion of said relationship. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's that's also, not to, like, circle everything back, but that's these unhealthy patterns we've learned about mon- monogamy yeah. that aren't necessarily true. Like, you got to spend every second together, and, you know, you need to, like, elevate that above everything else in your life, and that should be your only priority above everything else. Like, that's not... Not only is that messed up and not fair to the other people in your life, but it's also really not healthy. Like the relationship science shows that like that is not a healthy way for us to engage in relationships. Yeah. They said, um, and like not to guys, like I'm not by any means trying to make everybody pro polyamorous or like anti-monogamy. I'm very pro both. However, I, I like to call it how I see it in there are negatives to eat like every side, like to every side, you know, this is just a chance for some people to see 
that, like you said, there are a couple holes within the monogamous uh, way of living. And B, I want to open, or at least for some people who feel like they wanted to try this or start this conversation, but mm-hmm. you didn't, you just felt like you didn't know enough. So uh, hopefully you're you're hearing what we're saying and it either gives you the courage to go to your partner today and kind of like open up and start or B, it piques your interest and you start to learn and understand more because you probably have a friend or family member or like know somebody who is in this larger world of non-monogamy. Yeah, yeah. And can so, I add a yeah, oh, go ahead. Ahead. No, hop in can here. I add a C? Yeah. I wanna add a There are twenty six letters, add them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got so many letters left. So I think C is like if you hear this, like because I wanna say again, I'm not saying monogamy is toxic. I'm saying that there are ways that we're taught monogamy that are unhealthy. And so like if you hear this, maybe it's and you're monogamous, maybe this is a chance to really examine, are there ways you have been taught monogamy that are actually sabotaging your monogamous relationships? Like um, that you should never be attracted to other people. And if you do, it means something's wrong or that your partner has to fill all your needs or that you have to spend all your time together or that you should, you know, pour all your energy into your partner and not your friends. Like those are the pieces, even if you're monogamous through and through, that I would want for people to really like start to critically examine and be like, huh, I'm not sure this is so healthy. I'm not sure this actually supports my monogamous relationships to practice in this way. I I agree. Um, And going to D, um, I feel like sometimes in these monogamous situations, there's this sense of, um, I don't like to use the word ownership, but, um, but possessiveness, possessiveness. That's the word I was, that's the word I was looking for. Um, which I feel like sometimes isn't the case, um, when you're in a more understanding relationship, because you, like, you can't possess people guys. It's, it's not, it's not a thing. Um, so once you realize that like your partner is an individual of their own who has their whole life and other relationships that they also need to thrive and foster, that you realize that, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be so jealous of their connections or you start to evaluate why do you think that you need to necessarily monopolize um, time and resources of, of of this person um and that goes back to like when we were talking about what is what is your jealousy teaching you you have to sometimes think that maybe as i was taught monogamy like she said this is something that's not just hindering me or my partner but both of us um always keeping that viewscape in mind uh will do nothing but strengthen your relationship over time Totally. Yeah. And to speak to that possessiveness piece, I think that like what, what we want to get away from in healthy relationships, whether they're polyamorous or monogamous is the idea of scarcity. So this idea that like my partner is only with me because I keep them locked down and I don't allow them to do certain things and instead be like, my partner is with me because I'm awesome. 
like I'm fucking rad and that's why my partner's with me. And like, they're not with me because they're not allowed to be with anyone else or because I'm limiting their ability yes. to like meet new people. I, they're with me because they want to be with me just like I'm with them. Cause I want to be with them. So like, it's not about needing to control or like keep someone. It's about trusting that like you're both there cause you want to be. Yeah. Heidi, there's like, there's so much in my brain right now. And I knew this was going to happen. Like, gonna have to do this again there's so many aspects of this that you can like delve into that like we could go for the rest of the day and probably not touch another topic again like repeat a topic i'm a i'm a big reader i love i'm i'm trying to add to my bookshelf i bought it i said i'm gonna fill it out i want to fill it out is there like any like book or like reading or like material uh that you could suggest for people who are interested in learning more about polyamory Oh my God, there's so many. This is such a hard question for me because you're asking me to narrow down. It's like, how do I choose the favorite of all my babies? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, you know what? I realize that's hard. So like, you can give a couple, like, what are, what are some of your faves? You know, like, not, okay. like we're, the one doesn't rule on top of like. Okay, all right. So one that I think is great for just introducing the idea of ethical non-monogamy. So not even polyamory, but just the idea of having like, non-sexual exclusivity in your relationship and really starting to unpack what that could look like there's one called the ethical slut that's a great one it's a classic it's like it's in it's like third or fourth edition now but it's written by by these two women who are like kind of elders in the community at this point and it's really good at kind of really looking at all the different components of that so that's a great one there's um Another one that I think is great, oh God, I think it's called Designer Relationships. Ooh. And that's, do you know that one? I don't, but it sounds fancy. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's, it's great because what that one does is it's like about like, all right, let's look at all the assumptions about relationships and like take them away and just build up from scratch. Like, what are the things that work best for you? And it may be monogamy, but it's not default monogamy. It's monogamy that you choose intentionally. Or it could be polyamory, you know, so they really break down and have you like examine and explore and discover each level um, and then pick what really makes sense for you. And then another one, which is a little more advanced, um, but super great for things like thinking about healthy attachment, which we didn't really touch on today, but I feel like we were skirting the concept of attachment the whole time. Yeah. Is called polysecure. And that one is by Jessica Fern. Um, I can't remember the authors of the other ones right now, but that one just came out recently. And that one is all about the idea of attachment theory. So how we build, attach, form healthy attachments and how that can play out then in polyamory. Well, I mean, like I said, thank you. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to go look at those books, add them to my shelf. Uh, you can't see it right now, but it's pretty bare. <laughs> I'm about halfway through. But it's just something I decided to start doing with, like, every guest this year. It's just, like, give me a book recommendation, you know? Um, I say uh, each day is a great opportunity to learn something. So um, why stop learning, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And before we let you go... We got to get you with the quickie questions, okay? It's one of my favorite segments of the show. Um, It's like a reverse icebreaker. Mm -hmm. We've learned what you do and what you teach about. 
But now let's let's get to know Heidi, you know, as a person. You know, she's more than just her job. First question. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in the hot seat over oh, here. Listen, I'm like, oh, what's Josh going to throw at me? You know, just turn the AC on. It, it, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> Um, no. First question. What's like a really big turn on for you? What's a, oh, a big turn on for me is, um, people like get getting really nerdy about the thing they're into. Mm -hmm. Like when I see someone who's like really like passionate about something and like in their element of like, I love this and I'm doing it well, like, and I am just like in my happy place with it. That is a huge turn on for me. I won't disagree with that. I like some, there's something of passion is sexy. Okay. No matter what you're passionate about for the most part, it's sexy. Like, uh, like, I don't know if taxidermy will like necessarily be the thing. Like when you get really into (laughs) that, I don't know if that'll do it for me, but almost everything, uh, that people get passionate about, it really is. Um, there's cause it's, it's the confidence. I feel like, because when they're yeah. passionate, they get confident. And when they're confident, it just pro- projects like, I don't know, like arousal. That's confidence is sexy. Um, on the other side of that, what would be a turnoff for you? Hmm. I think a big turnoff for me, and I actually, this is very relevant because I, um, a few years ago, dated a woman who did this, is like when people talk negatively about other people's bodies. So when people are judging people's bodies, fat shaming people, that is like huge turnoff. It makes me feel completely unsafe and like, well, forget it. I'm never getting naked around you again because like I do not feel safe yeah. showing you my body because, you know, my body's not perfect just like everyone else's. And I get the whole thing around body shaming. That's why everybody's like, no, you're not fat. I was like, no, I like to take words that people think are like negative or like detrimental I was like no I'm gonna like turn this into a strength I'm going to reclaim this I'm not gonna allow you to hold this power over me I'm gonna embrace who I am and love it right and I I love that too because like when did fat become a bad word like fat is just a description and like when people are like no you're not fat it's like why why can I not be fat? Like you say that, like it's a bad thing. Right. I was like, like, that was my goal. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing good or bad about it. It's right. just Neutral, me, yeah. You know, describing myself. And it's just so interesting how people like, you know, we have these negative connotations with it. So yeah, that's a huge turn off. And I actually broke up with this particular woman because of like, I mean, she didn't say it about me, but she would say it about everyone oh, we were yeah. around. She would like comment disparagingly about their bodies. And I'm like, no, not for me. Yeah. Not into it. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. But there are a lot of like words like that. Like, uh, so we just talked uh, with, I guess, Kim uh, about how like femininity is seen as such like a negative or a no-no when it's, or like masculine when it's, when you're talking about the opposite gender that it's assigned to. And I was like, mm-hmm. but why? I was like, no, like there's nothing wrong with the, like, why is it bad to be a feminine man or a masculine woman, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get that. That's like a really big turn off for me. I was like, I don't know if that's supposed to be. <laughs> okay. So when I hear things like that, where people body shame or like pick at people, it always reminds me like, have you like been around the person who like tells a joke, but then nobody laughs and you're like, was that supposed to be funny? Or like, like, sorry, it was just like a complete miss. 
Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm, that's, yeah. what, that's what it's like to me. I was like, yeah, like, what was the need? Like, did I like you tried totally. to, you tried to do a thing, but like, what was that thing? I don't know. I'm confused. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, and and I love that too. That metaphor because I think like it's so well like like it's I sometimes just meet that with silence. You know, when someone does something like that, I'll just meet it with silence because yeah. I think the silence speaks volumes. And also that person is then left with like the shit thing they said, like echoing right. in their head, like, Ooh. just, just sit with that. Yeah. Sit with what you just said. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you can leave your foot in your mouth. You don't have to take it out. That's what I think. Um, <laughs> if you could go back in time and tell younger Heidi one thing about sex or relationships, what would it be? Oh my God. I know exactly what it would be. It just popped into my head. I would tell her, stop having sex that you don't actually want to have. Oh my God. Like Heidi, there's just so many other conversations I want to have with you. Like, I just want to stop every five seconds. Um, yeah. It's like, I'm like the dad, like I will pull this car over right now because <laughs> we will not get to our destination. Um, or you're going to have to come back on or we're just going to have to like be everyday pen pals because I could just talk to you forever. Yeah, we should we should do this again. We should have we should do more because yes. like there's a million things we can talk Listen, about. I'll have a, a little poly mini series, you know, just I love it. Love it. Um but I agree. Um we for me, I I stopped talking about it a, like a little bit on the podcast, but I think I have to start getting back into it cuz so many people get uncomfortable when sex and pleasure are brought into the conversation. But they're important parts of life. And I had this conversation. Um, and people think like age is relevant, but it's not because it's like we were all teenagers once and we all like experienced pleasure in our body and like discovery. I don't want to shame that in anybody. However, I think it's absurd for us to be like, you can't discover this or like you don't need to know about it until you're a certain age. I was mm-hmm. like, no, like. That's like saying like, hey, I'm not going to help you start your career until you turn 18. Or right. I'm not going to teach you like fundamental skills until you reach this threshold. No. Um, but going back to that, sex is super important, guys. Like if you're not into a thing or you're curious about a thing and you want to get into it, have that conversation. It yeah. literally changes. Like life-changing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and I think also, like, especially for folks who have been socialized as women, I think, like, it is so easy to get into modes where, like, women have sex that they don't want to have, either because they feel like that's the only way to keep their partner interested, or they think it's going to give them validation, or it's going to, like, be a way to escalate the relationship. Or maybe they do want to have sex with that person, but they're just not ready for it yet but they go along with it. And I can tell you, I did a lot of that in my younger years. And like, I had a lot of sex that I did not want to have. And if there's anything I would want to like, go tell younger Heidi, yeah. like, you don't have to do that. Don't do that. And not to get back to my soapbox. I think that that happens to both men and women. Women yeah. like have like, like you said, they think they have to be like performative and appease like the men in the situation. But also like men think, that damn porn we love it but we hate it at the same time they think they have to be like these soldiers that like these marathon runners that just have to be like 
go forever and like do the same types of like stockhold things because like that's what they see and i was like no guys like there's a no like just do what feels right and like stop if it doesn't for both people um because i've definitely been there like i i said like on one of the first couple episodes i was like i had like the same three moves for like five years because like I, that's all you ever see, you know, you're not really taught anything different and you don't know, but it's not until like, I started really exploring myself that I was like, what the fuck have I been doing for the past umpteen yeah. years? You know, I was like, I don't yeah. want any of this. I call it like TV dinner sex. I was like, no, I want mm. gourmet sex. That's like enriching and fulfilling to my soul and body, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think what can happen too, um, is that like, if you feel if you have like cookie cutter sex you're never getting to like discover like what actually works for you and it may be something totally different you know and like if we're if we're following a blueprint we're missing out on like all the off menu stuff that like you know might might totally light you up but you don't know about you're so right guys oh i don't even know what to tell you like me and Heidi, we're gonna come back to this. We're we're definitely doing a part like two and three to this because yes. it'd be a disservice if we didn't do this for you. <laughs> Let's <laughs> do it. All right, uh, four. Uh, shit. What's one thing that you think you could do better as a partner? Mm, well, I am a pretty amazing partner. So I don't disagree. This is a hard one. Yeah, you seem flawless. <laughs> um. Right. It makes you think. Yeah. Something that I tend to do is when I, I can get really involved in my own stuff. So like right now I'm in the middle of launching a new program and I feel like I'm just like thinking about it day and night, like in the shower, when I'm falling asleep, when I'm waking up and like, that's great because I'm passionate about it. But I think that, um, what I need to remind myself to do is to like, remember to carve out space for my partner in those moments, I think in day-to-day life, I'm pretty good at it. But when I get really on a tear about something, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's like all I want to think about and talk about, but it's like, you know, I, I have partners or who are also going through their own things, who have their own lives, who need space to like show up and talk about their stuff too. Right. And so I think for me, a good reminder is to like, you know what, like sometimes put your stuff on the back burner and like talk about, you know, carve out space for them to talk about what's going on with them. And that's, that's something that day to day I can do pretty well, but when I'm excited, real excited about something, that gets a lot harder for me. I mean, I think most of us are like that in the sense uh, we all have our times where we get hyper focused, um, whether that's like studying for the test um, when you're in school or like your wedding day, like when, whenever you have something big that seems monumental and like it will literally be the end of the world if you don't get it done. But you're right, like finding that balance of productivity and support, you know, for your partner is crucial. Um, And then the last question I have for you is, would you say that since you discovered polyamory, you've become a more happy and whole version of yourself? Oh, yeah, totally. I have. Yeah. And I've. I've become happier and more whole, but I've also just learned so much more about relationships and about communication. I feel like, you know, before I discovered polyamory, I was like, I was pretty good at communication. I was like, 
undergrad level, you know, like doing pretty well. But now it's like I had to go to like grad school. I had to get like a PhD yeah. in communication. And so that that's a big, big skill jump for me that happened. Well, Heidi, thank you for coming on. Before we let you go, Heidi, where can we find you if we want to work with you or we just have more questions? Or we just want yeah. to follow your day-to-day life. Like what like what where 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 do we go? Okay, well on Instagram, I'm at, at she loves radically. That's my handle there. And I'm I'm doing all kinds of stuff on there. I have videos, I have posts, sometimes I get a little spicy. Um, I'm just, yeah, doing all kinds of different things on there. And then I also um, have a website, shelovesradically.com. I've got um, a free jealousy uh, course on there that folks can take. It's a five-day course that kind of helps you unpack uh, jealousy and work through it. It's designed for polyamorous people, but honestly, anyone could benefit from it. And then um, I have a small group coaching program called Steady Your Polywobbles. That's for folks who are newer to polyamory, who are wanting to learn some skills, get some one-on-one and group coaching, and get some of the foundational education around polyamory. Well, you guys, you heard it here. If any of that piques your interest, if you are a new couple just trying to explore the space, or you're just a little bit too jealous, overprotective, and you you want to tone it back a bit, go check Heidi out. Um, and we're always here for a spicy personality. So like, go follow her on Instagram. Um, I'm pretty sure that you will not regret it. And you will find something to enrich your life 100%. Um, and then I will see all you beautiful singles. Or let me rephrase that. I will see all of you beautiful unpartnered or partnered people next week. Thank you guys. Uh, Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, leave all the ratings and reviews um, so more people can find us and share this with somebody who you think might uh, benefit, you know, or you want to start a good conversation. (laughs) All right, guys. Till the next one.